Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. What a wonderful, wonderful Sunday morning. We're so glad you're with us. Um, Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Well, let's dive into the Word so I can get you guys to lunch. Praise God. Um, but I, uh, I'm excited. I, I love being a part of a church that takes time and uh, opens up their hearts to the moving of the Spirit. Amen. And, uh, and just being yielded, just, you know, sometimes it comes in celebration and a shout. Sometimes it can come in quietness, and, but it comes with a yielded heart just to yield. Like, you know, when we gather in His name, how many know He's here? He, how many know he's, that God, the Spirit of God's everywhere? But the Spirit of God manifests when our hearts are joined together in worship. He reveals. Uh, it's like he smiles. It's, it's almost like there's a divine precipitation. How many know that there's humidity in the air everywhere? Some places more than other. Las Vegas is pretty dry. Um, and when it's 112, it's still really hot. But if it was humid in Vegas like Rochester at 112, that would be dreadful. It would be awful. But how many know there's still humidity in the air, even where a climate might be dry? But So there's always humidity in the air. But when it's the same thing in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. You know, God is omnipresent. But when we gather and we worship, our hearts are joined. It's like a divine condensation forms. And we experience His presence together. And then, and then it rains. That's revival. But it's not just an outpouring. How many know sometimes if it's not raining, the Bible says if you drink the living water that Jesus, he says, come to me and drink, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Even in the days of Noah, it didn't flood from the heavens. It flood from the fountains of the deep. The same thing with the move of the Spirit. We're always praying for an outpouring, and God's saying, why don't you just like release the river that's in you? But there is a divine precipitation, and I, I just love, this has nothing to do with the message. Well, maybe it does, I don't know, but um, it could tie in there. But I just, there's nothing like just experiencing the presence of God together. And, and this has always been my heart. You know, my wife and I pastored a church in Las Vegas. We had the honor to start a church, plant a church in Vegas, started a coffee shop with 12 people. And it grew to hundreds. We saw hundreds saved, healed, delivered, pimps, prostitutes. I mean, radical conversions, drug dealers. We saw the dead raised. We saw miracles, healings, phenomenal things over an 11-year period. Then the Lord mystically called us to Rochester. I had a dream on our 20-year anniversary in Cabo San Lucas. Gloria a Dios. La Señor, el Señor te bendiga. Man, I got some Spanish speakers in here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Mi hermana. Mi hermanas. They say it right? My sisters? Okay. All right. Thank you. Correct me. So my wife and I are in our anniversary. I have this wild dream, and then here we are. And this church has always been a house of presence, and uh, I'm just praying for that to increase as we grow together. But we've always valued the, the experience of God's love and presence together in worship and in the Word and in our fellowship. Amen? Amen. So good. So today I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. It is Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate uh, the gift of the Spirit given to the church. And, and so we're going to, it's Pentecost on the Western calendar. Eastern calendar I think is either a week or two weeks this year uh, different. 
Um, but, uh, but so on the Western calendar today is Pentecost, and it was after the, res- or the ascension of Jesus, 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, where Jesus ascends into heaven. And how many know he said, I'm going to send the promise of my father, wait in Jerusalem. They're waiting in an upper room. And, uh, and I want to talk to you about the upper room. How's that sound? I want to talk to you about, and we don't really know if it's the same upper room that Jesus washed the disciples' feet in and did the first, the institution of the Lord's Supper in. It probably was. It's, most, it's believed it says the upper room, but it could have been any upper room, but it probably was. There's something about a place, a geographical space, where even like, you know, we can experience God in church, and sometimes we might not experience God the same way in other places. How many know that? And, it, and it's a mystery. But listen, sometimes God just bends and breaks the rules. Like, I, I remember one time we were on the Las Vegas Strip, which is wild and crazy, and we were evangelizing, and uh, this was after Jesus, before Jesus. I won't tell you any of those stories. Um, so after the Lord saved me, sanctified me, and filled me with the Spirit. We're out there evangelizing, and uh, it was crazy, man. So we're, we're like, I go into the restroom, you know, and I was singing a song, and I was just singing like some praise song. And this guy comes in, he's Middle Eastern, and he's a Christian, and he says, 10 minutes ago, I prayed the Lord would send me someone because I want to find a Christian church. And I'm like, well, you can come to mine. He's like, I will. He ended up coming, being a part of my church, the church I was a part of for years uh, while he lived there. But we met and then in a bathroom, right? God actually can manifest in a urinal, praise God. And, and so we go out right next to the bar outside the bathroom. I'm with my other friends. We decide to pray because that's what you do in a Las Vegas bar when you're evangelizing. You pray. We start praying and the presence of God is so heavy, all of our knees are buckling. I mean, it was insane. Another time uh, I was at a, uh, actually there was a, a band, a local band, and they, they were really getting big at the time, a local Vegas band. Um, and they used to use our church as a venue. Well, they were playing at this well-known, uh, like I guess it was like a British pub. It's a pretty well-known British pub. The rugby players go there and stuff. And, and so uh, it's a pretty authentic British pub in that way, because fights break out, you know, that kind of stuff. So we go to this British pub. My sister happened to be hosting an event because she worked for a company that uh, promoted, like, she worked for Coors and all this, so she, she, you know, worked with some of the bars. And so I go to support the band and support my sister. I go with my friends, and I go with my wife, and um, the band recognizes that I'm there, and they've seen me lead worship. So like, Zach, you got to come up and do a song halfway through the set. And I'm like, all I know is worship, man. I didn't sing or play the guitar before I got saved. Wow. So um, they had me come up, and the drummer and the bass player backed me up. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a song that doesn't really sound like a worship song. It's like a Jehovah Sneaky worship song. <laughs> and it'll just get them at the end, you know. So I start singing the song, The Glory of God Manifests in a Bar. People were crying all over the room. I I started singing a prophetic song in a bar. It was a Kevin Prosh song. People came up afterwards like, I need to get back to church. Where Where do you go to church? Backslidden in a bar. God's everywhere. 
But he manifests, there's a divine precipitation that happens when we join. There's another divine precipitation that happens when his kids get along. And in the upper room, it says they were in one accord in the same place. Unity is not just being in the same place looking the same or talking the same. Unity is diversity and oneness. You can't have unity without diversity. It's an expression of the very triune God himself. The diversity of three persons and the oneness of one being. God in three persons. And community is an expression of that. But in the church, I want to share with you, I want to talk about the upper room just for a little bit here. Um, I want to talk about our experience as Christians who celebrate the gift of the Spirit but then sometimes, and by the way, we're going to do a series on the gifts of the Spirit. So if you, probably in July, if you want to dive into that with us, like you have questions, you want to learn about the gifts of the Spirit and their operation in our lives and in a church, how that works, what they mean, the gifts that God's given you, the gifts that you can have, the gifts that you want, that God wants to give you, all that stuff. And, you know, just the not so controversial things like tongues and women in ministry, that's the stuff we're going to talk about. Amen. <laughs> not just that. We're going to talk about all the gifts of the Spirit. But there's something about, I love, I'm obviously, I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love all the things that the Lord does in our midst, the mystical things. I love healing. I love all of that. But sometimes in our church cultures, we're so Acts 2 upper room oriented, we don't know the history of the upper room. Like, we'll look at a marriage and say, man, look at their marriage. It's so strong. I want to have a marriage like that. Will you guys pray for me that, that I could have a marriage like that? And the couple looks at him and says, you got to go hell to get this strong of a marriage. <laughs> if that was too much for you, let me, let me say it another way. You've got to go through the valleys <laughs> to build strong bonds in your marriage. See, sometimes we see the result, we see fruit, but we don't know the valleys that somebody's been through. We, we, we look at the fruit, but we don't know that they were pressed and crushed, but not broken, persecuted, but not abandoned. We see the fruit of somebody who's anointed as a worship leader and think, man, I want to do that. I'm going to learn the guitar and learn how to sing. Well, that's not the only thing you need to do. You need to spend time in the presence of God and be a lover of His presence where your heart is abandoned and there's nothing else that matters but sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, there's a price that is paid and sometimes we look at Acts 2 and I'm the first one to celebrate all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. I'm the first one to celebrate what happened in the upper room. One accord. One, and, and then they're in one place, and then there's a sound, and, and then the, the, the fire manifests. And then what happens? They come out of the upper room, 3,000 people get saved. It's glorious. Even the flaky, crazy fisherman Peter preached the word, and people got saved. Because God can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. Come on. He can take the mundane and make it miraculous. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit's amazing. We all need. We need the Spirit in our lives. And sometimes we're so Western mind-oriented, we don't even believe in the mystical. We don't even believe in the unseen realm. We don't understand. We've separated the seen and the unseen. But in reality, there's an unseen realm that is not separated from the seen realm. There's angels. There's 
There's all sorts of things that go on in the unseen realm and we have to be aware. But as Christians, sometimes we, we look at Acts 2 and we form a culture, we form a mindset, but we don't know the history of the upper room. We know how the Holy Spirit works in our lives that way, but it's hard for us to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts when we take Holy Communion. That happened in the upper room. Or go back a little further, which is the main text that I want to read in just a second here. Go all the way back to, I believe, where it probably started, which was when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Today I want to talk to you about the baptism that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in, that we need to make sure we have not forgotten, and it's the baptism of humble love. I was telling somebody in between services, I preached the message, I said, hey, bro, you live that message. And I said, some of us, like myself, I've been saved so long. I'm in Acts 2 having fun, but I forget John 13. I forget why the atmosphere is holy. I forget why they were in one accord. They were in one accord and they loved each other and there was unity and diversity because the master washed their feet, because the spirit worked in their life in a way to display such a humble love that I don't even think we can comprehend. I mean, to us, it sounds like a, a kind gesture in the Near East. Washing someone's feet was out of the question for even Jewish servants. There's scriptures that say things like set up his heel against them. Some Middle Eastern cultures, you don't cross your legs in church because you're lifting your feet up. There's prophecies in the book of Psalm that say that God lifted his, his foot against Edom. It was a disgraceful thing. Today in the Middle East, if you say something like, you know, if you use the F word, F-E-E-T, feet or foot or shoe, you have to say, excuse me, excuse my language. For Jesus to wash the disciples' feet was beyond radical. It was beyond love. It was extravagant love. It was scandalous love. It was outrageous and offensive. This is why Peter says, no, 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 you cannot wash my feet. Even when the rabbis would have followers that followed them and listened to their teachings and, and would go to their home and serve them in their home, they would do their laundry. So like if I had a rabbi I was following in the first century, I would do their laundry. I would serve them. I'd love them. But I wouldn't wash their feet. Not even a Jewish servant did that. The disciples wouldn't even wash Jesus' feet because that's not what you did. But here is Jesus in John 13, 1, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In the Greek, it's not just saying love them until the end of time or till the end of his, you know, until he was crucified. But it, it means that, but it also could mean love them to the uttermost. Because what he was about to do was to display a love, a humble love in which the Holy Spirit would be at work in their hearts. You wonder why right after this he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father. It's in John 14. We want, we want to read John 14. We want to get to Acts 2. But we've got to go back. 
and see what happened in John 13, that there was a baptism of humble love where Jesus says he loved them to the uttermost and then supper ended. And by the way, Judas was there. Jesus washed Judas's feet even though he knew Judas was going to betray him. Imagine the friends you have knowing that they would betray you. Would you still be friendly to them? I probably wouldn't. I'm just keeping it real. So here is not just a rabbi, not just a teacher, not just a prophet. He says, I'm going to go to back to the Father. It's in, in, in theologically, it's Christology, who Jesus is, that Jesus is the eternal word that preexisted time itself. He's God the Son. So listen, this isn't just a Jewish servant washing someone's feet, which was unheard of. Maybe a Gentile servant in that time. This wasn't just a rabbi washing the disciples' feet and reversing the role. It was radical enough. This is, hear me, God in the flesh washing the disciples' feet. See, there's a work of the Holy Spirit that he does in us that teaches us humble love. And I have to admit, sometimes as a pastor, I live in Acts 2, Pentecost, and I pray in tongues. Like Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. And there might be other people, maybe they don't operate in that gift. And maybe God wants them to have it, but God's not going to force you to have a gift you don't want. But you have other gifts. But I feel like sometimes I might be living in the Acts 2 upper room, and God's like, I want you to learn from that person they might not speak in tongues like you, but they walk in a humble love that you forgot, son. That we forget we were designed as believers to show the, the very love of the Father, Son, and Spirit towards one another, and then that love would overflow to the world. Even the term Pentecost can be exclusive because we immediately think of those that, and I love the charismatic movement. I'm, I, we're a part of it. I love the, there's probably 700 plus billion people that experience the gifts of the Spirit, believe in them, they're biblical, and they walk in them. And there's over 100 million of those that are Catholic. I love the history of the res restoration of the charismatic renewal in the Catholic Church, 1967. I could talk about these stories. I love it, I love it, I love it. But sometimes we get so far ahead of ourselves and we read Acts 2 about the unity and we read how they spoke in tongues and then they evangelize. And I want all that. But sometimes we forget that the work of the Spirit in our life teaches us not only that we're sons and daughters, but teaches us how to love in Humility. Can you say amen? amen? So Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This wasn't just a teacher or a prophet. This wasn't just a rabbi. This was God, the Son, washing humans' feet. <laughs> I have to laugh because you think about he's the one by whom all things were made. In him all things consist. The very expression of God. The mirror of the Father. And he does something that's radical and scandalous even in their culture and day to wash their feet. This doesn't make sense. It's scandalous to religion. He says, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but you will after this. I want to look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. Peter. Don't you love Peter? He's crazy. That's this crazy fisherman. 
Who identifies with him as a disciple? I definitely do. Who's quick to pick up a sword? Who's quick to fight when there's a fight? You really need this message. I do. Who's a scrapper? Come on, somebody. Yeah, my man, Tommy. It's always good to be around people that just in case they have your back, it feels good. Can you tell I really need this message? Peter was crazy, man. Pulled out the sword. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, look what he says. Verse 8, you have no part with me. Wow. He's like, in that case, give me a bath, Jesus. <laughs> He's like, you already had one today. It's Passover. Or maybe he was talking about baptism. You only need to be baptized once. Baptize. You're clean. But what I'm doing now is displaying a humble love that breaks cultural ways that's going to teach you to do the same to others that will melt the hardest of hearts. So Jesus washes their feet. But Jesus, in Peter's conversation, Jesus says something that I have to talk about, and I want to just wrap this up here in the next, like, ten minutes. He says, you have no part with me. So interesting. Do you know any time the Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit, it talks about the body of Christ. Anytime the Bible talks about the fellowship of the Spirit, it's referencing the communion of the saints. See, you can't separate the Holy Spirit from our fellowship with one another. He's right in the middle of it. He's right in the middle of how we relate to one another, how we love one another. In fact, he's the one who teaches us how to relate and love. When we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I want to read Ephesians chapter 4 to you in just a moment. But you know the Greek word where Jesus says, you have no part with me, is the same Greek word used to when Paul says that we are a part of the body of Christ. We, have, we take part of Christ and we are in Christ. So Jesus is saying, if you don't let me do this, you can't be a part of me. See, here's what happened in the, in the Near East culture. If there was an extravagant, unexpected gift given, a gift of love, when you receive that gift of love, there is a union. This is, this is the understanding of even covenant. You share a meal together. You drink wine together. There's a, an exchange. It's like a love bond. It's like a bond saying, your enemies are my enemies, and my enemies are your enemies. Like, we're, we're in this thing for good. We're bound in covenant. And so if there was an extravagant gift of love given and the person receives the gift, they, there's a fusion of hearts. There's a fusion. This is the Near East culture. This is how they understood it. So Jesus is doing this crazy act of love and they're receiving it. There's a fusion. Of, there's a oneness, a union, if you will. And how many know that the next day Jesus was crucified, which the foot washing was just the beginning of the picture of self-giving love that Jesus did when he poured his life out on the cross. This is why when we receive that gift of love, the Bible says that we identify with his 
crucifixion, come on, his death, we go into the waters of baptism, which, by the way, starts when you dip your toes in. You see, the water isn't just, it's the rivers of the Spirit, and the work of the Spirit starts in your life by going to the lowest, despicable places and begins to cleanse them, because it's in preparation of that, where he baptizes us with the humble love. How can he reach us at our lowest? By going that low. And when he reaches us in our lowest, then we can move on to taking the Lord's Supper, and I'm not saying it's like a Christian progression, but I'm saying this, that we have to remember the Spirit doesn't just work in the rah-rah Pentecostal-ism that we do. The Spirit works when you have no words to say, and you don't know what else to say, but say the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God works when it's quiet, and it's silent, and His glory is manifested in a way where you, you read about in Azusa Street where the Spirit of God was so present that William Seymour said things like this, I didn't want to breathe lest I offend or quench the spirit. Of course, it's a metaphor. And he would say, I didn't want to say anything lest it was like murdering the spirit. Of course, you can't murder the spirit. But the language was so dramatic because he just wanted to walk in a reverential yieldedness and awe of the presence of God. And sometimes we're so, ah! And God's like, that's good upper room stuff. And there's a time for that. But don't forget John 13 where humble love was demonstrated. And when we receive that humble love, something happens in our hearts where we begin to love one another in that way. If I was you, I would have stood up and clapped during that whole, but I'm just... Hey, Moses did say he was the most humble man on the planet, and he wrote that about himself, so don't mistake what humility is. A radical, unexpected demonstration of love. This is why Moses, when he's before the burning bush, he took his shoes off. It's on holy ground. Washing, God washing humans' feet, that's the incarnation. That's what he did. A display of radical love, and when we receive it, there's a fusion, a bond. So here, where Paul talks about the gifts the fellowship of the Spirit, he talks about the body of Christ because when Jesus says, you have no part of me, it's the same Greek word where Paul describes that we're part of the body. Uh, just this last week, I had an unfortunate incident where softball flying at me. The, it wasn't low enough to where I could go like this. It wasn't high enough. It was like this. So I didn't have my glove turned enough and it was flying fast. And it hit me right here fractured the bottom. I have a temporary cast. It's just not on right now because it doesn't look pretty. So, But I have, a, I have a fracture right there at the bottom of my thumb. How many know when there's a fracture, first of all, sometimes we don't realize how important parts of the body are until we actually hurt them. Right? <laughs> we don't realize how significant. I broke my toe years ago as a kid. I couldn't walk. I'm like, I didn't know my big toe was that important. As a pastor, I've learned sometimes I don't realize how significant a part of the body is until they're gone. And then I'm like, God, why didn't I love them the way that you designed me? Or maybe I need to raise up more pastors. You know, I can't relate to everybody. I got to make disciples. I got to reproduce myself. But how many know when, the, when a part of the body, first of all, all the parts of the body are significant. Every part is significant. But when there's a fracture, that part doesn't move the way it used to. And there's a need for healing, right? Sometimes we don't realize 
someone's lack of living and movement in a body is because they're just broken. They're just fractured. Well, then we need to make sure they know they're part of the body. So let's wash their feet. And let's allow the Spirit to work in them where 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says we're baptized in one Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that makes us a part of that body. Why? Because we become one with Jesus and we are the body of Christ. And there's a union that we share. It's in the very prayer of Jesus in John 17 that we would share the same union that he and the Father have. So there's an expression of Trinitarian, other-centered, sacrificial, self-giving love that comes forth in mature Christians' lives. That's you and I, saints. May we be baptized afresh in humble love. I love Acts 2. But the vibe, if you will, the atmosphere of Acts 2 started in John 13. Jesus said, I know this doesn't seem right, but I'm going to wash your feet. And I want you to do the same. I want you to display radical, unexpected acts of love. Because when you receive it, that force of love transforms you. It changes your life. In closing, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, a bond servant, right? A bond slave, like, I'm a servant. How many know we're sons and daughters? But sometimes we get so caught up in that, we forget we're actually servants. We're all servants. Our identity is sons and daughters, but our call is to, we serve. We're sons that serve. We're servants. Well, I'm, a, I'm royalty. Yes, amen. So am I, but we're servants. Paul says, I'm a bond servant. We're foot washers. Humble love. I'm a bond servant. In other words, I can, I'm free to go if I want, but I choose to stay because I'm wildly in love with the one who is wildly in love with me. And when I accepted that gift of love, I was bound to it. And it changed my life, and it's still changing my life. As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy. Now, Paul isn't just saying do good stuff. Because holiness in other portions of the New Testament, he says, is profoundly exhibited when we love one another, 1 Thessalonians 3. Paul says, the way y'all love each other and how that love just overflows to Macedonia. Yeah, God says, that's holy right there. God smiles at that. We always make holiness about us. Holiness is about his beauty and his love and his life flowing through us and being seen through us. So he says, I want you to walk holy in a way that's suitable for your high rank given to you in your divine calling. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, yes, and at the same time, you're seated low, washing the feet of the broken. With tender humility, verse two, and quiet patience for service, I said one time the Lord rebuked me, I was talking, and it was like the Lord says, you always have something spiritual to say, don't you? And I was like, Lord? But I'm called to preach. He's like, yeah, but you're just saying stuff. Just talk when you have something to say. Sometimes we talk so much, that's why nobody listens. Because I just, I'm always hearing it. Ah, it's, it becomes noise. Hello? It becomes a clanging symbol. He says, tender humility and quiet patience. 
Right after this, he talks about the body and the gifts that Jesus gives. Always demonstrating gentleness and generous love. Generous, say generous love towards one another. Especially those who may try your patience. How many want to cross that part out in the Bible? Don't do it. Add and take away. You know what it says in the book of Revelation. When my Bible was falling apart years ago, I got scared. And I thought about that verse in Revelation. He adds or takes away. I don't want no plagues. And I put the pages back in there. Never mind. We can't cross that part out. Especially those who may try your patience. Lord, have mercy on us. Teach us to love humbly and generously. Be faithful to guard. Here, check this. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you. Well, who does the harmony? The Holy Spirit. Who's the maestro of this thing? The Holy Spirit. Who teaches me how to love? The Holy Spirit. Who teaches me how to be humble? The Holy Spirit. See, the water that was coming out of the basin as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet is a type of how the Spirit washes us from the lowest place. My goodness. The sweet harmony of the Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. Being one body, say one body, and one Spirit as you are all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. If the Lord God is one, and so are we, for we share one faith, one baptism, and one Father, and He is a perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. Can you say amen? Really quick, I know I said in closing, I'm just going to close with this, and I'm not going to stop reading. Listen to it as we close. If you, This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 in the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, say amen. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Then he says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Can you say amen? Pray with me. Father, I thank you for John chapter 13. We read that Jesus, Lord, that you loved your disciples to the uttermost. And God the Son, the eternal word, displayed a scandalous, radical, humble love by washing the disciples' feet. And Lord, you've called us to do the same. And I pray that we would be baptized afresh in the work of the Spirit. That we'd be baptized in humble love this Pentecost. It's a fire that gives us courage to wash feet. It's a fire that gives us courage not to have something to say, but sometimes to be quiet. It's a fire that gives us courage to love, to be unoffendable, to display the glory of your love, your divine love that you poured out in Christ. Your divine love where you emptied yourself and poured out your love on humanity 
in the incarnation. We receive that love. Teach us to follow your heartbeat, to be foot washers. We thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray that you bless every saint in the room. We receive it now. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hi, Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester, New York. Hope you were blessed by that message. And we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to. If you would, just go to revival.me and click on the button that says give. Thanks again and have a blessed, blessed day.